So as I was <clears throat> just in the lobby beforehand, somebody came up to me and said that this is an important topic to them because they actually take medication for anxiety and stress. They said, I don't have an anxiety problem, but all the people around me have a problem with my anxiety. <laughs> and, and that's the reality of anxiety. It doesn't just affect us. It affects all the people around us too. And... Um, and so those of us who feel anxious on a regular basis, even a daily basis, and by anxious I don't just mean normal concern for things, I mean really stressed out and fearful. Uh, you know it, we know it. We know it when we're anxious and we, and we don't want to feel that way, but we do feel that way. And so uh, we need an antidote to it, we need an answer for it, and God has that answer and he has that antidote, and a lot of it was in that song, Worship. And the sovereignty of God, hallelujah, my God reigns, is a big part of what Jesus is going to teach us here in Matthew 6. And he's teaching again in terms of contrast. He's contrasting again disciples who are members of his kingdom with Gentiles or pagans or people of the world who are not part of the kingdom. And he's contrasting the kingdom of the world with the kingdom of heaven. And so you'll see those contrasts again in this text. And we'll just get into it and and start to deal with what Jesus has to say about just common, everyday, regular anxiety that he knows his people will face. It says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. So Jesus repeats here three times in this text not to be anxious. Verse 25, he says, don't be anxious about your life. And he's speaking there of your physical life, food and clothing and things like that. In verse 31, he says, don't be anxious about Gentile or worldly things. In verse 34, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. So this is about anxiety. We all picked up on that, I think, fairly quickly. But we need to know what Jesus means by anxiety in order to properly understand his teaching. What, what does Jesus mean when he means anxiety? What does he mean by that? What is, what is it worry that Jesus is talking about here? And also, what isn't it? What, what isn't Jesus talking about? And there's a couple comparisons that Jesus makes directly in this text to help us understand the kind of anxiety that, that he's talking about, what, he, what he's speaking of to his disciples. The first one is in verses 31, Jesus compares the pattern of life of anxiety with the pattern of life of Gentiles who seek after all these things. 
And so when Jesus is talking about anxiety in his disciples and comparing it to Gentiles or those who are not disciples, he's saying the kind of anxiety they have is they keep seeking after these things. And so what I don't want you to do is to behave like them where they are consumed by seeking after worldly things. They're worried about how do they look? Where are they going to eat? Do they have worldly comforts? Do they have shelter? Do they have this or that? And they go day in and day out and week in and week out, similar to like we talked about last week, using their attention and using their time to think about how do I get my hands on that stuff? And so it's kind of an anxious seeking. And the word I was thinking of in terms of that, in terms of what anxious seeking looks like in, in the English language today would be like obsession. Jesus says, don't be obsessed with getting your hands on food and clothing and stuff and comfort. The Gentiles are obsessed with getting those things. That's where they spend their energy. That's where they spend their time and their money. When, when you look at someone who's not a disciple of Christ, what do you see? You see someone who's focused on worldly kingdom things, and they're focused on gathering things to themselves and making sure they're secure and they're well-fed and they're, and they're well-clothed and all the rest that would go with a modern society. So they're driven by comfort and security. And that's the pattern of their life as they go about their day. And Jesus says, if you worry about stuff the way they do, then you're being anxious about the wrong things. So don't be a seeker after those things. That's part of what he's talking about in terms of anxiety. Secondly, if we look at verse 34, Jesus also says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. So there's an element of anxiety that is not just tied to making sure you have all the stuff you need in life and obsessing over that. But there's an element of anxiety that's tied to the future, that, that you're obsessing over or you're concerned with tomorrow being different or being unknown and tomorrow is uncontrollable and I don't have any say in what happens tomorrow and so I'm going to spend my today time focusing on what might happen tomorrow. And that idea isn't only in this verse, but it's also in verse 27 too. Jesus says, your worry can't add a single hour to your life. You can't change tomorrow. You don't gain any benefit by being anxious today about things that happen tomorrow. Things like, how will my kids turn out? Or where am I going to be living? Or what's going to happen after this big change in my life? Or that change? Or what's the doctor's diagnosis going to be? So anxiety, Jesus says, should, we should not allow it to overtake us. Or it, it, He says it, it carries an element of fear of our future well-being. He says, this kind of anxiety, I don't want my disciples to have. I don't want you to be anxious about tomorrow. I don't want you to be anxious about the future, about things you can't control. And then thirdly, it's helpful to consider what anxiety isn't. A little more literal translation of the phrase, don't be anxious, it could also be written, and if you prefer the King James Version or the New King James, it's probably written that way in the King James. It says, take no thought. So take no thought of your life. Take no thought of food and drink. Take no thought of tomorrow. And that's helpful, that phrase, because we do understand that when Jesus uses phrases like that, or phrases like that in the Greek in this context, they're used in the comparative sense. And so when Jesus says, take no thought of food or clothing, he doesn't literally mean you will never think about eating or wearing clothes. Thank goodness. I'm glad that we all thought about putting on clothes this morning before we came to church. He doesn't mean don't make any supper plans. He doesn't mean, you know, don't think to yourself as you drive home, I should stop at the grocery store and get some food because there's no food in the fridge. 
You know, Jesus doesn't say, aha, wait a minute, I told you not, you shouldn't know whether there's food in the fridge or not, because I told you to take no thought of any food. Right? That's silly if we think that way. That's not what he means when he says, take no thought. Anxiety that he's speaking of here is not a normal concern for basic well-being or day-to-day living. When phrases are used in the comparative sense, they mean in relationship to or compared to more important thoughts. Think nothing of these trivial things. And Jesus uses strong comparative language in other places, maybe most famously when he says in Luke 14, 26, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know, of course, Jesus does not call us to hate our mothers and fathers and children or hate even ourselves. But comparatively, Our love for Christ is meant to so much exceed our love for others or even ourselves that it would seem like hate. Or in other words, there's a unique kind of love that we have that is reserved only for Christ and only for Jesus. And no one else gets that kind of love that we have for Jesus. Because if we were to give that kind of love that we have to Jesus, to ourselves or to other people, we'd be worshiping them or we would be worshiping ourselves. And Jesus says... No, you only worship me. The love you have for me is reserved for me. Compared to that, you hate everyone else. They don't get any of that kind of love. So this is the comparative language that Jesus is using here. He tells us that anxiety does not mean never think about it ever. Jesus is not overriding scripture that tells us to be good stewards and to care for ourselves and to care for others or scripture that tells us to plan for the future. What Jesus is telling us is that anxiety becomes sinful. It becomes disobedient when it becomes like an obsession. When fear over the future or obsessive pursuit of comfort and security takes over the pattern of our life, it becomes a problem for his disciples that he's warning them about. It can become sinful. Don't obsess over the things of this world. Don't obsess over the troubles of tomorrow. What is he talking about? He says what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. And it's worth asking ourselves at this point in the text, what is it that we are anxious about? For most of us, it's probably not about food and clothing. For most of us, it takes a serious effort to not eat too much, right? And we could probably give away 90% of our wardrobes and still have plenty to wear by first century Palestine standards. But Jesus is speaking here about common everyday concerns for most people in his culture. And ours may be different. So I'm curious, what what are the kinds of things in our culture today that are kind of common, everyday, normal living things that you are stressed about or that you are anxious about? Give me some answers. What are some things? Time? Yeah. Not having enough time to get everything done. Social media stresses a lot of people out, no doubt. Finances, exactly. Our children, yep. Worried about our kids. Anything else? Sorry? Dealing with people, relationships. Exactly. There are big issues. There might be big issues like global warming or politics or coronavirus or something like that. Might be something closer to home like 
what college your kids are going to go to or what job they're going to have or maybe what jail they'll stay out of or we you know we we worry about having to change jobs or get a job and 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 for some people yeah sometimes it is buying groceries or paying rent this month or having winter jacket and boots we we worry about the doctor's diagnosis we worry about the leak in the roof and these are real worries they're not they're not wrong worries they're they're real concerns the question is do you find yourself obsessing over them jesus says don't not think of them at all he says don't be anxious about them don't let them control you last week you remember he said he doesn't want money to be our master he also does not want anxiety to master us Jesus does not want either money nor anxiety to be masters over his disciples. Has a particular worry, whether it's big or small, begun to captivate your attention and control the pattern of your life? Like on social media. You know, does one tweet or one Facebook post just get your blood boiling, right? Does it provoke an immediate onset of paranoia when you hear from a certain politician? You know, does hearing certain news cause you to worry about the future for your children and you, you spend hours lying awake thinking about it? Do you, you fear that if the test results are bad or the news is not what you want to hear, then somehow if, if circumstances don't work out the way I need them to in the future, then I will not be able to carry on. This has to turn out good for me or I won't be able to cope. Having concern for things daily is pretty normal. Feeling anxious at some intervals in our life is normal. We will feel anxiety, but Jesus wants his disciples to live daily in security and not be mastered by anxiety, by those thoughts. And the key to understanding this text comes in the repetition Jesus uses of the alternative to anxiety. He, he repeats the antidote to anxiety and what, why that antidote might not be working in his disciples. He repeats phrases like, your heavenly father feeds them. God clothes the grass. He will clothe you. He says, your heavenly father knows you need them. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. So as Jesus is seeking to alleviate the worry of his disciples in these earthly matters, he continually points to the awareness of and the ableness and the goodness of God the Father. God is aware, God is able, and God is good to meet the needs that you are currently obsessing over, that you are currently stressing about. God is aware of your need, God is able to provide for your need, and God is good to meet your need. The problem with your anxiety is not the circumstances you are in or what the circumstances in the future might be. The problem is, Jesus says, your unbelief, O you of little faith. Jesus makes this an issue about belief, about faith. And this is a hard lesson for us to understand, but it's so helpful. When you first hear this, you might think that it's bad news because you thought your anxiety was just stress or something that was a condition that you just had to live with. And here Jesus says that your anxiety is actually an issue of your faith and your unbelief. And that can make you very nervous, but it's actually good news because now you know what the battle is. Jesus is pointing out to his disciples, this is what the battle is. And so I want you to hear this morning, and you'll learn more in your small groups about this as you go to First and Second Timothy in Hebrews, that the battle over anxiety is a battle for faith. 
What does this little faith mean or little trust? Jesus is saying at the end of the day, when you're anxious and when you're stressed, you're making a decision about who you're going to believe in. And with a scalpel, like he usually does, Jesus uncovers the truth about life-altering anxiety and obsession. Anxiety and worry is a poorly disguised form of unbelief. It's a kind of unbelief that says God isn't aware of what I need, or God doesn't care what I need, or God isn't able to meet my need. It's a, it's a strange kind of unbelief for a Christian to have that says I trust God for my eternity, but I don't trust him for today. I don't trust him for tomorrow. And what we really mean when we say this or think this is that I don't trust God will deliver the outcome that I want for tomorrow. I want my kids to turn out all right. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to move back home with my parents. I don't want the test results to be negative. And I'm anxious because I don't trust that God will give me what I want. And here's the bad news. You shouldn't. Because God may not give you exactly what you want. Because that is trusting in yourself rather than trusting in God. That's trusting that you know what is best and God should agree with you. That's trusting that only the circumstances you want are the right ones. But Jesus says his disciples don't trust that tomorrow will bring everything they want. They trust that tomorrow God will be with them no matter what tomorrow brings. Don't concern yourself with tomorrow. God is good and faithful and he will be there with you. And if God is with them, then they have everything they need. We don't trust in circumstances for our hope and our joy. We trust in God. Or to put that perhaps even more clearly, it's a strange Christian that trusts God in past grace, but does not trust God in his future grace. And this is what I mean by that. As Christians, we trust that God loved us before we first loved him. We trust that God sent his son to die for our sins. We trust that God knew us before the foundation of the world and God pursued us in love and God brought us in contact with the gospel and by his grace, God gave us the grace to respond in faith and adopted us as one of his own children and God has guided the path of our life as we look back right up into this day until we're sitting here in this church surrounded by this family cared for in the way we are. We trust God for all of his future grace, but we say, "Mm, we're not sure about future grace. We trust God up to today, but anxiety and stress and obsession over the future says, I don't know that God's going to keep coming through. That's a strange kind of faith, Jesus says. It's a strange kind of Christian that believes in all of the grace of God that's led them up to today and believes in all the grace of God that's going to care for them for eternity, but doesn't trust him for next week. Doesn't trust him for tomorrow. Trust that God has given his only son, but that he will not provide for you what you need today. I sent my son to die for you, but I'm holding back the groceries. No. Jesus says, that's silly. Why would God hold back groceries? He feeds the birds. He clothes the grass. God we trust in past grace is as faithful in future grace. Christians recognize that we are where we are by past grace, but our hope is always firmly in future grace. We never think that the unchanging God will somehow change on us or that a good father will somehow neglect us. The reality of the Christian life is you can't outlive or underlive God's decree for your life or God's governance of your life 
God's governance for your life as a believer, as a disciple, is always for our eternal well-being. Romans 8.28 says it this way, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Paul does not say all good things work for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He says all things work for good. So even those times when you can't pay the rent, even those times when there's not as much food in the fridge that you hoped, even those times when you lost the job that you thought you were going to have for the next 10 years and God's moving you to another job, even when things that stress us and cause us anxiety happen, Paul says God works all things to good for those who are called according to his purpose. And again, in your life groups, you're going to look at some examples from the Old Testament of some disciples of God who lived with a lot of anxiety, tons of anxiety. One of them is even God himself, Jesus, when his soul despaired. You can't outlive or underlive God's decree for your life. His, his governance of our life is always for our eternal well-being. God has not only saved us and kept us, he will continue to keep us. He loved us before we loved him. He will not stop loving us now that we, in our small measure, return his love. And so Jesus would commend his disciples to not have little faith in future grace, but have much faith in future grace. Colossians 2.6, Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so that sentence begs the question, how did we receive Christ Jesus? It says, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Well, how did we receive Jesus? We received Jesus by grace through faith. So how will you continue to walk or how will you pattern your life in Jesus by grace through faith? By God's grace and mercy in our lives and our faith and our trust in his future grace. Jesus says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus says, Gentiles seek worldly things. Disciples seek the future grace of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, we need to understand what that means. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? If if Jesus says we're supposed to seek it, then we need to know what the kingdom of God is. Well, I think the simplest way to read the phrase the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is where God is on the throne and his citizens are subject to his rule and authority in their lives. That's what a kingdom is, right? A kingdom is a place where there's a king on a throne and the subjects are under his rule and under his authority. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God in your life, he's saying, seek first the pattern of living where God is on the throne and you are submitted to his rule and authority. In other words, let God be king. Let him rule and let him reign. Let God be Lord over what is going on in your life and live under his grace. If you want to fight the fight of unbelief, if you want to do battle with your anxiety and with your stress and with your fear about what's going on in the kingdom of the world, Jesus says, get your eyes off the kingdom of the world, live in a pattern where God is the king, where he is the authority, where he is ruling, where he is reigning, where you are a citizen under his grace and the anxieties of the world will be dealt with in a secondary way, almost as an afterthought, we'll take care of that stuff. 
But disciples of Jesus deal with anxiety. They have this battle with unbelief by living in a pattern of life that says God is on the throne and He rules and reigns in my life. So yes, pay your bills, buy your groceries, put your kids in school, put gas in the car, but don't be obsessed with those things. Don't have the pattern of your life and the attention and the concentration of your will on all of these earthly things, Jesus says. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the place where God is on the throne and let His rule and His omniscience and His omnipotence and His sovereignty be a reality in your life. Let Christ rule and reign in your life and God will care for you regardless of the circumstances that may come about. The Apostle Paul clearly saw what Jesus had in mind here and he even took it beyond concern for food and clothing. He even took it to getting married. Right? This is, I love 1 Corinthians 7. It's just like so much amazing stuff here for married and unmarried people in 1 Corinthians 7. So he gets done talking to the married people, says, here, sort, sort out your marriages. This is how you deal with that stuff. And then later on, keep reading in 1 Corinthians 7, he starts talking to all the single people. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul puts it quite clearly here, right? He's talking about the same thing Jesus is talking about. He says, I don't want you to be anxious about the things of the world. But if you get married, you're going to have to be. You've got to take the garbage out. You've got to cut the grass. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when a man says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You don't have to nag him for eight months. He'll get it done. <laughs> You see, you thought it was about the girl, but it was actually about the guy. It's the trick with that joke. But Paul's saying the same thing here. He's saying if you're unmarried, you're anxious about the things of the Lord. Your concern and your worry and your obsession is for the things of the kingdom if you're unmarried. If you detach yourself from the things of the world, your obsession and your concern can be for things that are heavenly. Don't get tied to things of this world. Now, I don't know whether I would go as far as Paul here in every case, but in truth, Paul isn't saying he wants us completely free from all anxieties. What he really wants is free from common anxieties so that we can have holy anxieties. He wants us to be anxious about things of the Lord and free from worry about worldly things. And if we really are disciples of Christ, if we really are citizens of a new kingdom, then our worries must not sound like the worries of the world. Here's a good test. When a Christian is pressed on the concerns of their life, when, when, when somebody presses in on you and says, what's bothering you? What's stressing you? What, 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 is, what are you anxious about these days? When, when you're pressed on that, then what comes out of a Christian should not sound exactly the same as an atheist or a pagan. When, when you are pressed, your worries should not sound exactly the same as your neighbor next door who's not a believer. If you're anxious about, you know, global warming and whoever's going to get elected and you're really stressed about, you know, the college your kids are going to get into and you're, you're worried about, you know, whether you're going to make mortgage payments or, you know, what the central bank's going to do and how your stock portfolio is performing, that's, that's not the concerns or the obsessions of disciples. That's, that's not what's supposed to come out. We're supposed to be concerned with, well, I'm concerned with, you know, 
Columbia and El Camino Academy and they need teachers and I'm, I'm praying that, you know, that the pregnancy care center gets the support that they need and I'm praying for my neighbors that they would come to Christ and I have friends who's, uh, are walking far from the Lord and I want to see them back in joy and I want to see them walking right with, with the Lord and in the church and, and getting good counsel. Those are the things that should eventually, I hope, come out of Christians when we're pressed on what we're anxious about. If our anxieties sound exactly like the anxieties of pagans, then we're anxious about the wrong things. Does it sound like you are worried about worldly outcomes most of the time? Or when you are pressed, what comes out of you is concern for kingdom outcomes? Is that what you spend your time lying awake at night thinking about? Because we all spend that time, right, at 3 o'clock in the morning when we wake up. You know, you were all awake with me, right, at that point? We all wake up, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're all thinking, and what's going on in our head? And Jesus says, the stuff that should be spinning in your head should not be worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about, you know, the, the doctor's diagnosis. You know, I've got those things. Worry about the kingdom. Not that all those things are going to turn out exactly the way you want, but I'll be there in them with you, just like I've been there with you all this time in your life. Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the thing. God only expects us to walk uprightly and faithfully in the day that we're given. We don't have to solve every problem of tomorrow or respond to the trouble of tomorrow. Or let's consider it this way. God promises us the strength we need for this day to face the test that is before us in the present. And tomorrow, he will give us the strength tomorrow to face tomorrow. If you're feeling like you're running out of strength to cope with today, right? And that's really where anxiety boils down to. Like you're just, you feel like I am out, I'm empty. I have nothing left to cope with what is going on in my life today it's probably because you're not actually dealing with just what's going on today. It's probably because you're also trying to bear the burden of tomorrow with the strength that God has given you for today. God doesn't want you to do that. right? When you feel like, I just can't deal with this anymore, I don't have the energy, God doesn't seem to be giving me the power to be able to cope with today, the reality is you're probably trying to cope with tomorrow and the next three months on top of today. And God doesn't want you to do that. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. New day, new strength. We don't pray, give us this week our weekly bread. Give us this month our monthly bread. Give us this year our yearly bread. This is a daily prayer. God gives daily supply. Just for today, like manna in the desert, we just get a day. You say, okay then, Paul, but what if I do feel anxious? What if I find worry is altering the pattern of my life? What if, what if I am obsessing over these things? The Apostle Paul applied the teaching of Jesus regarding anxiety in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 6, he says it just like Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then in 4.19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory, Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. Do you see how that sounds the same as what Jesus said? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in, bring everything in thanksgiving and prayer to God. And God will supply your every need according to his riches in Jesus Christ. And so when anxiety strikes us, 
It doesn't mean that we have yet lost the battle of unbelief, okay? I don't want you to go away thinking that if I'm an anxious person, then I'm not a believer. It doesn't mean that we are faithless yet. It means that our faith is being tested. So the question is not so much does, do we feel anxious? It's what do we do when we feel anxious? What do we do with our anxiety? So when anxiety strikes us, it doesn't mean that we are faithless. It means our faith is being tested. Psalm 56, 3-4 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Notice the psalmist says, he doesn't say he will never be afraid or anxious. What he says is, is that when he is afraid, he will put his trust in God. That's a verb. That's an action. The psalmist is going to intentionally place trust in God when he is afraid, when anxiety strikes, when fear strikes. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's another deliberate act. It's a casting of our stress and our worry onto Jesus. And so the Bible doesn't say that we won't have any anxieties or we'll never stress out about anything or that we'll never worry. What the Bible tells us is how to fight them. And so we follow today the pattern of what Jesus and Paul and the psalmist have said to us. We battle the unbelief of anxiety with the promises of God. So if we are anxious about some risky undertaking or some new challenge, we battle anxious unbelief with the promise, fear not for I am with you, be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you in my victorious right hand. When we are worried about being too weak to face what is ahead, we battle unbelief with the promise of Christ. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. As your days go, so shall your strength be. If we are anxious about difficult decisions we must make about the future, we battle unbelief with the promise, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. If we are anxious about facing people who may cause us harm or we don't know what their motives are towards us, we battle unbelief with the promise, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If we are anxious about suffering illness, we battle unbelief with the promise that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. If we're anxious about getting old, we battle unbelief with the promise, even to your old age I am he and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. If we're anxious about the end of our lives, we battle unbelief with the promise that none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. If we're anxious about the strength of our faith and that we might fall away from God, we battle unbelief with the promise, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He who calls you is faithful, He will do it. He is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. If we're anxious about global forces that are beyond our control, we battle unbelief with the promise, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. God does not say that you will never be anxious. God does not say that there will never be fearful circumstances in your life. 
God does not say that there will not be suffering and stress in this day. God says, I will provide for you the strength to live in this day. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow and don't be anxious about the things of this world. God is sovereign over those things. Amen. Just as we prayed, hallelujah, God reigns. He's sovereign. God does not say that we will never be anxious or he wouldn't need to give us any instruction about what to do with our anxiety. God does not tell us that our anxiety, what God does tell us is that our anxiety should never master us. Our hope is not that tomorrow will bring the circumstances that we think we want for ourselves. Our hope as Christians is always, no matter what circumstances tomorrow brings, God is ruling and reigning in those circumstances for his glory and our good. That's where Christians put their hope. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't obsess over the things of this world. Seek the kingdom of God. He rules. He reigns. He's, his promises are for you in the day that you are walking in today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. This thing about anxiety, it is huge in our lives. And I thank you that you have uncovered for us that in reality this is a battle for belief, a battle for trust, a battle for faith. Father, when we become stressed and worried and wringing our hands about things of this world or about what the future might hold, Father, give us incredible new confidence in your future grace. We, we see your past grace and, and we're like, yeah, God, you are so good. Look at how much you've done for us in the past. And then somehow, like fools, we forget that you're unchanging, that you're a good father and you're not going to stop being a good father. Father, give us faith by your grace in your future grace that we trust you in the future. And Father, help us to live for today just in what you've given us to deal with today. Tomorrow has trouble of its own. We don't need to borrow it for today. And trust again, faith again, that when tomorrow comes, whatever tomorrow brings, you will be strong for us again tomorrow and give us exactly what we need tomorrow to deal with tomorrow. This is how you've called your disciples to to live, to live under the rule and reign of a sovereign God in our lives. I pray that we would take this battle against anxiety and against stress and against unbelief just to another level in the future, that it would not master us, but that we would have victory over it. In Christ's name, amen.